In the summer of 2020, a near disaster jeopardized the lives of hundreds of people on a runway just outside of Paris. Charles de Gaulle Airport, like a lot of international hubs, has parallel runways, runways that are pointed the same direction, but that are separated far enough apart so that both can be used at the same time. On this particular day, the left runway was being used for arriving flights as they landed, and the right runway was being used for departing flights to take off. A United Airlines Boeing 787 was on final approach and had been cleared to land. Meanwhile, an Airbus 320 was maneuvering onto the runway to take off. This would be perfectly normal if it weren't for the fact that the air traffic controller for the arriving 787 from Newark, New Jersey, had given clearance to land on the right runway, meaning the same runway that this Airbus was about to take off on, on its way to Malaga, Spain. It was a simple mistake. The difference between the word right and left. The news media would write up a story accounting everything that happened on this day and would call it the air traffic controller's slip of the tongue. Now, we all know what this is like when we say something that causes a problem, when we have our own slip of the tongue. Many times, our words are not quite as consequential where hundreds of lives are at stake and where two airliners might come within 300 feet of each other. But we still know what it's like to have words that can make an impact that are important because words do matter. Today, as we open up our Bibles back to the book of James, we're going to see that the Bible has a lot to say about all that we say. Now, if you haven't been with us for a while, or maybe this is your first time joining us, I just want to say welcome to you. It's great that you could be a part of this. We're going to step back in the book for just a minute to take a look at where James has already addressed this topic of our words and of our speech. So if we look back to chapter one, we, we see that in verse 19, James said, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. James cautions us against speaking too quickly and even gives us this radical advice that we ought to think before we speak, that we should listen before we talk. Well, if we read on then in verse 22, James also said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. We should be people who listen well to God's word, who listen well to each other in conversation, but we shouldn't be just listeners. We should be people who put into practice those things that we hear from God's word. We should be doers of God's word. And then as we go down into verse 26, we see James say, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So he talks about a bridle and religion in the best possible sense of the word, the kind of religion that is pleasing to God. And he says, if you think you have a religion that pleases God, but you don't know how to restrain your tongue, your religion is actually worthless. The tongue needs a bridle if our religion is going to be worthy. So now as we step into chapter three, verse one today, we're gonna to see how James picks up this theme again of our speech, of the tongue. And we're going to see how we need a bridle for our tongue if our religion will be worthy of anything. So let's look at chapter three, verse one. James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, 
For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. There's that word again, bridle. A bridle being an instrument, a headgear that goes on an animal to control it. And we're going to come back to that topic in just a minute. But before that, James cautions people saying, not many of you should become teachers. Why would people want to become teachers in the first place? It's likely that James is addressing this topic right at the start of this chapter because it was an issue to the people he was writing about. Being a teacher is something that gives people a platform. People who stand in front of others apparently claim to have something to say. It gives authority. It's, it's a role of prestige in a way. And in the church, teaching is a role that God has equipped certain people for to bless the church. We see that in places like Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But in James's day, many of the people in this church were very poor and many even would have been illiterate. But being a teacher would be a way to climb the social ladder. Perhaps that's one of the reasons why people wanted to be a teacher in the first place. But James gives a warning right off the bat where he says, we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Now, not everybody has words that are as consequential as an air traffic controllers, but a teacher does have words that matter and that are highly influential in other people's lives. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, he said, everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. A teacher has been given much in terms of gifting from the Holy Spirit. And because of that, the teacher bears a great responsibility. But especially within the church, a teacher stands up in front of people and says, thus saith the Lord. That teacher better know what he or she is talking about. And as that takes place, the teacher bears this burden. But James says right after this, for we all stumble in many ways. We stumble as human beings. We don't have to even think hard at all to think of all of the ways that we might get tripped up in life. To stumble means to sin. And we have countless ways where we fail to live up to God's standard in our lives. Teaching is a role, though, that has an occupational hazard assigned to it. Because teaching involves speaking, it's the primary tool of the teacher. And as that being the case... We might think, well, this doesn't even apply to me because I don't even want to be a teacher. That's never been a desire for me. But James broadens the scope of who he's talking to and his audience right after this when he says, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So we might opt out here and think, oh no, I don't want to be a teacher, but James is just caught us in this greater, larger scope by saying, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. This is a broad scope because anyone applies to anyone, not just those of us who might want to be teachers. We stumble in many ways and speaking is the primary way we might do that. But I just want to say, if anyone here today happens to be listening to this right now, who has not said something that you regret. Maybe you have never misspoken in any way. I just have a few words for you. You can turn this off now. 
you might as well go because you're wasting your time listening to me. If you've never said anything wrong or never regret anything that you've said, then you are this perfect person. But for the rest of us, we have plenty to learn as we read through what James has to say. James is about to illustrate this, this point that he's making about how important our speech is and how easy it is to get tripped up when he says this, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So James gives us two examples of how a very small instrument can make a really big difference. In the case of a horse, the pressure of the bit in its mouth or the pull on the reins is enough to turn this thousand pound animal and control it and keep it restrained if necessary. But a horse has a mind of its own, but even so, the bit in its mouth is enough to overcome that will. But in the case of a ship, the strong winds and the tumultuous waves might just toss a ship around, but yet this small surface that deflects to one side or the other is enough to turn it in the water and against the mighty waves that crash against it. So also like this is the tongue. The tongue itself is something that also has this great power in our lives to make a massive difference in the course of our lives. James says that it's a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Now that's something that we might hear and think of in a negative sense and just think the tongue is just arrogant for no reason. But we could take it in a more positive way too. It's just a fact. The tongue has a great influence in our lives. And that's kind of the first thing James is drawing our attention to here, that the tongue has great power. It's a small thing in terms of its size, but it has a great impact, a great force behind it. I bet if we stop for just a second, we could think about ways that words have shaped our own lives. Maybe a teacher spoke some kind of encouragement to us when we were younger, a teacher who saw something in us that we didn't even see in ourselves and encouraged us to have a high goal in life, to go after some kind of accomplishment or achievement. Maybe a coach did something similar. Maybe we had a coworker or even a supervisor who challenged us to take on a greater level of responsibility, something that we weren't sure we were ready for. But their words had a powerful impact and made a great imprint in our lives. In the church, of all people, we ought to be people who know the power of words. James is writing to brothers and sisters in Christ. So this is the primary setting for the words that he is speaking to us. That as people of God's church, we should know that we can speak life and give encouragement to each other just by the words that come out of our mouth. And then as we do that, we can lift each other up and set each other on a course that's honoring to God and that's good for our own lives. But because the tongue is so powerful, it also has the potential to have a great problem associated with it. And that's where we go next. So we're going to pick back up in the second half of verse five. And here James says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. 
I wish we didn't have to think of a fire right now. We are way too close and familiar with the damage that a fire can do in our lives. But in James' day, think of the fact that a fire would just rage on. There were no smoke jumpers. There were no slurry bombers. There was no stopping it. A fire would just burn until it burned itself out. And James says, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. The, the tongue can have an effect that's far greater than what we might imagine, than what we might think. This past week, Twitter, the social media company, had an article that came out about it related to a new feature that they're going to be adding into the platform. It's called an edit feature or an edit button. Up until this time, all you could do when you had already sent out a tweet was delete it or try to walk it back with another post after it. But Twitter recognizes the need that an edit feature might be helpful. Now, why would we need an edit feature in the first place though? Because the tongue is a fire. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small tweet, such a small text, an email, or just a spoken word. This is the power of our tongue. And wouldn't it be nice to have an edit button in life? Wouldn't it be great to be able to just edit out a couple words that we spoke earlier in the day to change the tone of how we said something? Wouldn't that be wonderful to just be able to go back and undo what already has been done? But just like a match that you can't put the fire back into or an ember that can't go back into the campfire that's already burned down a forest, we can't take back the destruction the world of unrighteousness that our tongue and our mouth might unleash. James says, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Well, earlier we looked at this kind of religion that is not worthy. But James says right after that, back in chapter one, that religion that is pure and undefiled is this. It's to visit widows and orphans in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James says here that we don't even have to leave our living rooms to be stained by the tongue, that the tongue has this power to stain our whole body and that it sets on fire the entire course of life. Our tongues can have a ripple effect. Our words can have a, a, a harm that's attached to them that we would never be able to envision in the moment. Back in 1960s, um, over 60 years ago, a meteorologist at MIT named Edward Lorenz, he ran a weather forecasting simulation where he just modified one variable to the thousandths place. That's three places behind a decimal point. And he ran the experiment or he ran the simulation, went to go get a cup of coffee. And when he came back, found that the results that it had generated for a couple months worth of simulated weather were far different than anything he had expected. And out of this experiment came what he called the butterfly effect, where he asked, does the flap of a butterfly's wings in Brazil set off a tornado in Texas? We might say, does the flap of a butterfly's wings, or how about this, a person's mouth in Boulder, in Erie, or in Thornton set off a tornado in our, well, you get the picture. There's a ripple effect to our words where the things that we speak can be harmful beyond what we could possibly imagine. 
Think of the power of words to devastate a marriage, to devastate a family, a relationship between a parent and a child, to divide people in a workplace. How many families do you know where there's a segment of a family where they don't talk to another segment of the family and the youngest generation among them doesn't even know why? It's the butterfly effect of communication. And James calls this the fact that it is a world of unrighteousness, something that stains the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And such damage could only be caused by one source. He says, it's set on fire by hell. Hell is the word Gehenna, and it's a valley just outside of Jerusalem, a place where child sacrifice took place and a place where garbage and refuse would be burned. Hell is associated with Satan and his demons. It's associated with evil. And hell is a place of condemnation and judgment. And James says that this is the source of a tongue that does this kind of damage. So let's not miss what James is getting at here. We might think of our words as just being sound waves that hit the air and then hit our eardrum and that register in our minds. But in fact, what James is saying is that our words are far more weighty than that, that our words are a spiritual matter, that our words have a location that either originates in hell or can originate with God in heaven, that our words can tear down or our words can build up, that our words can give life or our words can bring death. This is the power of the tongue. And James sharpens our thinking about it as he mentions that it is set on fire by hell when it unleashes this kind of world of unrighteousness, this staining of the body, and this corrupt just pathway through the entire course of life. So if the tongue is a small member that has great power, we see that the untamed tongue is a great problem. James is going to drill down into the spiritual nature behind it as we keep reading in verse 7. For he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. We could read these words on one of two levels. Just in one sense, James, James is just quite simply making the point that in comparison to all of these creatures, the tongue has not been tamed. But there is a deeper level and significance to what he's saying here as well, because these words are echoing the words out of Genesis chapter 1. In verse 26 of Genesis 1, the Bible says this, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our own likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Thank you, ESV, for that wonderful language, the creepers. But James is just pointing to the fact that the tongue has such power, and that power goes all the way back to an episode in the early pages of Scripture, back into Genesis, even chapter 1, where we see this plan that God originally designed for mankind, that mankind would exercise dominion over all of the animals, over all of creation, that man would serve as God's image and God's like vice regents for the whole of creation. And as that is true, then James points out here, using that same kind of language, that there's one animal that's still running wild and loose, and it's the tongue. 
If we look back at verse two, James has said this about a perfect man, that a perfect man would be somebody who would be able to bridle his tongue. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. But here in verse eight, we see this other side of that same thing that no human being can tame the tongue. We're all caught. We're all busted here. None of us has been able to tame the tongue according to the way James has in mind here. So James says here, with it, in verse 9, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. That we're able to go to church on a Sunday and sing praises to God, but yell at our kids in the car on the way home. I'm saying that because I've done that. To my shame, I know what it's like to bless and curse. We might sit at the table with some other people, maybe our family or some other believers, and we might praise God for the community of fellowship that we have together. Meanwhile, offer some cutting remarks about people who aren't there. We have this just natural ability to bless God and to curse those who are made in his image. And James gives us one conclusion. He says, my brothers, my sisters, these things ought not to be so. This is not what God desires for us. He goes on, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond produce fresh water. This is obvious stuff, but we should be reminded that we cannot draw water from a source that doesn't have good water to drink. And a source that might give water that is drinkable on some occasions, but not on others would be dangerous and inconsistent. But yet James is making the point that that's exactly what happens with our tongue and its own inconsistency. And not only that, but our, our language is produced after our own kind. Just like an, a plant produces its own kind, so our tongue produces whatever its kind is. So where do we find what kind our tongue is? It's from the heart, the condition of our heart. The tongue speaks according to its source. Jesus said this, in the book of Matthew, chapter 15, he said, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexually Im sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. The author and pastor Paul David Tripp says, there's no greater argument for your need of grace than what comes out of your mouth. We all need God's grace in this area. And do you see what's at stake? The tongue is such a big deal. It's so important, not just because it can either give life to another person or tear life away from another person, but it's such a big deal because it also reveals what's in our hearts. The tongue reveals what's inside of us. It's been known or labeled as a kind of barometer to our own spirituality. It reveals what's going on inside of us. That's what is implied here as James goes through this passage. But remember what he said. He said, my brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be. So we might just ask the question, then what ought to be? 
How should things be? See, I think James is giving us a sense of hope that's kind of behind the scenes in his words here. Scripture is full of examples and instruction on the kind of speech that we ought to have. We can just take a couple of examples here. Out of the book of Proverbs, chapter 15, verse 1, says this, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. If only a perfect man does not stumble in what he says, shouldn't we turn to the only perfect man for help? This week, as we enter into Holy Week, we remember the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And as we think about the events surrounding what we're celebrating this week, we see examples of what James has been talking about in this passage. For example, think of what we celebrate today on this weekend of Palm Sunday. Remember the words that the crowd spoke to Jesus when they said this, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. But just a matter of days later, they would say these words, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Jesus, as he was reviled, as he was mocked, as he was mistreated, as false accusations were made against him, what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus had a perfectly tame tongue because he had a perfectly pure heart. And Jesus went to the cross knowing that our hearts are so broken that our speech would reflect that brokenness. It would reflect that sinfulness because our hearts are sinful. But Jesus overcame the cross. He overcame the grave so that we would be people whose tongues and hearts have been tamed by his grace. Only the gospel can give us this. And James here is reminding us of our great need for that grace. So if you're here today listening to these words, maybe you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life right now over words that you have spoken to another, or maybe you're feeling conviction over the words that have been spoken against you that are hurtful still. Maybe you need to offer forgiveness to a person, or maybe you need to seek forgiveness from a person. Or maybe you're here and the Spirit is convicting you in a different way because you've never known this transforming heart-level work of Jesus Christ in your life. If you don't know what that means or what that looks like for you, we hope you'll get in contact with us. Reach out to us at calvarybible.com. Look on the website. We would love to speak with you. You can call the church office or you can reach out to us through one of the other ways online, and we would be happy to talk to you. It would be our delight to be able to talk to you about the transforming work of Christ through the gospel. So as we enter into this holy week, let's be mindful of the grace of God that transforms our lives and tames our tongue. Would you pray? Father, we celebrate your work in our lives. We celebrate the fact that you have accomplished what we are unable to accomplish on our own, that you are the perfect man who went to the cross, who overcame the grave, simply so that we could experience that same transforming, perfecting work of your spirit in our lives. Lord, may we celebrate you 
May we worship you this week through all of the events as we remember those events so long ago that can make a difference in our lives today and give us hope for the future tomorrow. So God, we praise you and we celebrate your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you this week. Go in peace.